0: Today on the podcast, we welcome my friend Tyler St. Clair. Tyler joined us a few weeks ago, and we got to know him and heard his story and heard a lot about his experiences as a black man in America. And today I invited him to engage with the Vine Church podcast, the Vine Conversations, just to follow up and to ask some more questions, to have this be a means by which a predominantly white church can learn learn and be educated, and to have our experience expanded, and so I really appreciate Tyler. I really appreciate his insight and his faithfulness to the gospel, and I hope this podcast really blesses you. Maybe you could just give some background about yourself, just for those that um, maybe didn't listen to the first time we did a podcast together, and again, Mm -hmm. man, thanks for for showing up and, and hanging out with me and being willing to do this, but maybe just uh, give a little background on yourself and, and who you are and, and um, where you live, your context, anything you want to share.
1: Cool. Um, Tyler St. Clair, um, lead pastor of Cornerstone church, Detroit. Um, I was born and raised in church, but my experience, um, my experience in church was not one that was a, uh, a good experience. It wasn't something that I desired. Um, I thought church was for old people. I thought church was for, uh, thought church was for old people. I thought Jesus was a white man and I wanted nothing to do with church. So at 18 years old, I just basically said, I'm done with this. Um, I ran the streets a little bit. My, my story is very similar to the people who uh, we seek to reach now in our ministry. People come from broken, broken homes, broken relationally, grew up single parent home, poverty. You know the story, that, that, but that was my story. In Detroit, <clears throat> um, raised by my mother, but my grandparents were, were were involved as well. My grandmother drugged me to church every Sunday, whether I wanted to or not. So um, when I turned 18, that was my Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I declared independence from going to church. I went and I went and got high. I went and uh, got a tattoo, and I said I'm done with church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went away to college, and God uh, used uh, used my circumstances to draw me to Him, similar to the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got everything. I had everything I desired, and I still felt empty, lost, hopeless um depressed and, and in retrospect i realized i was depressed um i didn't want to live and uh, i came home from college after a, a really um uh, really dangerous and traumatic uh experience with the police i was about i was, I was in uh, the middle of michigan middle of nowhere i was two hours away from my home um and i had a really really uh traumatic and near 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 um I don't want to say near fatal, but near deadly experience with the police, and um, I, I spent the night in jail for no reason. And I remember that night in jail, um, kind of staring up at the ceiling and just lobbing my very first prayer hmm. to this, to this God that I had said I was done with. Um, and it was it was so feeble. It was so I I didn't know the words. I just like if you're up there, can you help me? I need you. Um, I think your name is Jesus or God. Uh, Can one of y'all, Jesus, can you talk to God and y'all sort that out up here and help brother out? Uh, (laughs) Um, that was the crux of my prayer. Um, and and again, this is a cat who grew up in church and I didn't, I didn't know how to pray. Sure. Um, so I come home and then a friend of mine becomes a Christian long story short. He ends up leading me to Christ. And, um, because how I'm wired, I am a, I am a person of extremes. So when I was in darkness, I was in extreme darkness. Um, and that's all I wanted. And when I became a Christian, there was no waffling. I literally, uh, felt the sense and urge to ministry months after I became a Christian Mm -hmm. and began to pursue that at 19 years old. Didn't know the Bible, um, didn't know scripture, didn't know the gospel well. Um, but I just was on fire. Um, a little little bit after that, I start preaching really heretical Bible studies because um, I was not discipled well. Sure. Um, people, you know, people see a gift, say, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." I, I, yeah. I had uh, I had Joshua in the Lions Den, and I was all <laughs> over the place with it. Um, but you know, I was excited. You know, yeah. I was yeah. excited. I wanted people. I wanted people to know this, know this hope that I found. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I knew at 19 years old that I was. Um, uh, that I that I felt compelled to reach out to the least, the lost, the last, and the left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the people in my community that the church does, for the most part, does not desire because they're more of a headache. They're more of a burden. They don't pay. They don't pay tithes. They bring they uh, children out of wedlock up there and they ask for money. They they walk in and they look like they're casing the joint. Uh, that was those are the people that I felt. God called me to reach because that's that was the element that I came out of. So, yeah, man, for the last 20 or so years, I'm getting old. I've been in the northwest side of Detroit slugging it out for the Lord Jesus. We ended up planting a church um, four years ago. We celebrate four years, uh, Lord willing, in October. And, um, and we've planted one church uh, so far. We're in the process of, uh, Lord willing, planting another church in Cleveland, Ohio. We have pastoral residents and um people getting saved yeah it's just it's just it's God's grace in a way that um um I can only point back to him and give him the glory because it was it's not because Tyler's good and Tyler's such a, such a good pastor it's because he is uh awesome and gracious and wants to see his kingdom advance so
0: yep amen man thanks for that summary that's super encouraging I want to I want to try to discuss something that you mentioned and I'm not even sure how to discuss it discuss it because it feels mm-hmm. like a bit of a landmine for me to bring this up, but if mm-hmm. it goes poorly, we'll just delete it from the podcast. Um, but
1: you can leave it there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You'll uh, get the emails, not me.
0: Exactly. Um, <laughs> but like, so you—I don't. You—you you said you were raised by a, a single mom, mm-hmm. and I know there's certain people that like to. Um, Maybe, maybe place any type of dysfunction they might see in the black community at the feet of uh, fatherlessness.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you think about that issue? How do you talk about that issue? Um, can we just talk about that? I'm I'm not even sure how yeah. to talk about it, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah but it feels like for me as a white person that could be a landmine to bring that up, but I'm not even sure. Like, how do you feel about me even bringing that up?
1: So Yeah, we could talk, we could chop it up. So, um, I try to, I try to look at the, um, the issue of fatherlessness. Um, I, I try to look at, look at it on both sides and try not to fall into either one of the extremes. So you have one extreme, um, a more conservative view, and that's you know, it's personal responsibility. They need to do this. They need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to get it together. You need to do this. Um, and then there's a, a, a whole n- another side, a more liberal side, that um, in some ways aids and abets uh, and, it, and it enables um, that behavior. So I, I, I try to look at both sides. There is a there's a, a huge element of personal responsibility that a person needs to have when they make a choice to lay down and make a baby, and uh, especially in a, in, in um, situations that aren't the best. Um, but there is an element that you can't remove the um, you can't remove a lot of the systemic uh, structures the the systemic. Um, hurdles that a person has living in my community. So if you it, it, just look at this logically, if, a, if you look at a, a certain, if you look at a family, just say one family, not, not the whole black community. Well, yeah. Okay. Say a, a few families in a, in a community. If, if you see poor education generationally, right. So th- this family has lived in the same community and they've attended some of the same schools. Um, you can Google it for yourself. Detroit. Uh, there was a documentary done on the Detroit Public School called "A National Embarrassment" or something of that nature. Hmm. I grew up in. I grew up in Detroit. Went to Detroit Public Schools. Like we literally did not have books. That wow. is not an exaggeration. Wow. The school we partner with now, um, we literally have to buy toilet paper for them. They don't have toilet paper in their school. Wow. So you're talking about a, a, a um, schools in a city. That was in bankruptcy, bankruptcy in two thousand eight. So you have people who are being uh, not receiving adequate education. What does that mean? That means you're not gonna. That means you're not gonna go to college more than likely. Mm-hmm. That means you're not gonna be able to. Um, that you're not gonna be able to uh, sustain yourself financially. You look at a community like Detroit, Southside Chicago, fill in the blank. You look at these communities. There there are little to no Economic um, opportunities for people of color. The Koreans in my neighborhood, when I grew up, the Koreans wouldn't hire me because they owned the beauty supply store. Who are they going to hire? Korean cousin, Korean family. The um, the Arabs owned the gas stations and the grocery store. Like I literally could not find a job when I wanted to work at sixteen. The first job I ever got offered was to sell drugs. Mm-hmm. So you live, you see a community with no education, no. I mean, extremely poor education in comparison to the suburbs extremely poor education, little to no um, area for, ac- uh, for economic advancement um, the, the the main option to uh, for economic advancement is something illegal. Uh, so again you, you can't you can't say look at this this uh, white nuclear family that lives in a state in, in a not to mention in and you live in Detroit, uh, low tax low taxes and so poor public services and all, all of these things gotcha. um, you can't compare a a family that lives in fill-in the blank um, suburb of, of Detroit 25, 30 minutes away and they don't have the same hurdles. Now again, should people be procreating loosely, recklessly wildly? Absolutely not. Is there personal responsibility? Absolutely. Once once a child is, comes into the world, are, are these two parents, whether they hate each other, cats, dogs, frogs, or whatever, married? Unmarried, are they responsible for that child? One hundred percent. But you you can't you can't just say personal responsibility personal responsibility and not look at a lot of the uh, landmines that people live in, poor housing, like all of these things um, contribute to. Fatherlessness, single mother yeah. uh, scenarios in, in Detroit. The 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 um, the fact that uh, black and brown men are four to five times more likely to be incarcerated. Uh, why there's so many single mothers? Because so many so many young black men are incarcerated, more uh, substantially more than uh, their white their white counterparts for the same crimes. Like this, this the, the like these stats uh, are 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 proven. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not that read the numbers, read the stats person, but the prison, the the um the prison pipeline from the black and brown community has been proven. Mm-hmm. You know, th- read the, the the um the new Jim Crow is mm-hmm. a good book to read. Mm-hmm. The, if you don't want to read the do, the documentary Thirteen, mm-hmm. like all these things are factual mm-hmm. that black and brown men were uh, incarcerated at a much higher rate. Than their white counterparts for the same crimes and sometimes lesser crimes. Yeah. So why they're single, so so all of these things contribute to uh, the the epidemic of uh, broken families in in uh, my community. Yeah. So
0: as a as a pastor that's seeking to disciple people, could you just give us um, a window into maybe how you would talk about that issue with people at your church?
1: So which people?
0: either one like you you tell me my church yeah give me the give me the diversity
1: first yeah our church is diverse we're all over the place um racially socioeconomically experience wise so we have we have people who have only lived in detroit their whole lives and we have uh we have black people who have only lived in detroit their whole lives and lived in the 12 block radius like me and we have uh white families that just moved here yep so what we try to do is um, we try first we start with just open dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell my story. I not that I'm a um, not that I think I am the you know gold standard or or a model or anything like that. Um, but when a person hears that um, I came from a similar situation, I came from a similar. Uh, scenario. It gives them uh, a little more. Um, they're more apt to hear me. You know, there's uh, c- there's young men at our church that you know I talk to and I relate to, and they feel like I'm the only person in the world that uh, can understand them. <laughs> you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Because I came from a I came from a similar situation:
2: mm-hmm.
1: extreme poverty, brokenness, Detroit public school you know, uh, ran the streets. So, um, I'm open about, I'm, I'm open about that. I don't hide it. You know, um, I don't hide the fact that, you know, I, I grew up in poverty You know, I know the struggle. Um, but you know, we, we, we have, we have those, those conversations openly, but also, um, we try to point people back to resources. Like, you know, i mentioned those two, um, uh, but also, um, yeah, man, it's, it, it's, it's in, it's in the, con- those conversations happen in the context of discipleship. Yep. You know, I think I may have said that the last time, um, but yeah, that's that's how we do it, man. Um, having those conversations with a person that there is trust, there is relational equity, there is a level of understanding. So I can have a I can have a conversation and say something that is somewhat confrontational to a white brother in my church, and it staying less because he knows my heart. He knows Amen. I'm for him. Amen. Uh, he knows that it's not out of malice, but is this, this, this is out of, you know, I, I decided to see you grow in this area. And the same thing where I can have that a conversation, um, with a black brother or a black sister,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but they know that, you know, this is, this, um, this is my pastor. He's my friend. He's my brother in Christ. He's for me. Right. You know, I have that conversation with some joker on the internet, you know, it's just, it's just, we just banging it. We just banging. We just shooting back and forth. Right. You know, there's there's no relational equity there. So um, yeah, it happens in the context of discipleship, and it happens you know in a place of where where, where some trust and equity is already built.
0: Yeah, that's so good, man. That's so good. It's like uh, in in a lot of you know the issue of racial justice as I've been thinking about it and been learning about it is so complicated and profound and extremely yeah it's like anybody who thinks otherwise is just naive but Mm -hmm. but what i keep coming back to is i know we can make progress if we're committed to relationships yeah like in the long haul exactly over a long period of time Mm -hmm. um but let me ask you this tyler because i think this is really helpful um you know i'm 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 leading a church that's 97 percent white um most people didn't I would imagine I can I can probably say pretty factually most people did not grow up in a in a poverty culture mm-hmm. um I mean I grew up in firmly lower middle class like my mom got some of my clothes when I was little at garage sales and
1: mm-hmm. we never
0: went out to eat but I would never say that we were poor <clears throat> help somebody understand uh what 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 is what is that experience like and how did that shape you and maybe just describe your experience uh, as you described it as you know living in poverty and and how can you help people have compassion for that and
1: yeah so yeah um, it, it it had um, it had um, I think both negative and positive um effects on me personally. Um like you you meet um a person who's grew up in you know poverty to extreme poverty. Like we weren't in extreme poverty. Um but we were lower, 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 lower middle class <laughs> to okay. poor. Um we were never destitute or anything of that nature. Uh never homeless. Um but it was rough. Um I uh what i've noticed in me personally and a lot of people who've grown up in poverty there is a there's a level of resilience um like you look at a person like this may not be a good example because it's the first person that popped in my mind a person like james brown you know grew up in a in a brothel you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. and just just extreme like but like if you look at some of the the most genius pe- ray charles is another one yeah um like some of the most genius people um they've come come out of poverty mm-hmm. um I, I think it builds a it builds a resilience it builds a resilience in me mm-hmm. um and what's interesting now that I can look back at it as a thirty nine year old man, it so when we hit um and have experienced difficult times uh financially raised uh, you know being married and raising my family and planning a church in Detroit, there wasn't this the sky is falling, the sky is falling. It was a you know. God has been gracious and kind to me my whole life and God will provide you not in a weird name it claim it word faith way, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But I've, I've seen God provide my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, just a certain re- resilience, but there is a, on the negative side, there was a, there was a level of, um, just self consciousness that I had in, com- in comparison cause I didn't have what other people had you know, I didn't have new nothing, mm-hmm. you know, my, 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 my mama and grandma and them got that, got stuff from Kmart, mm-hmm. you know, so I would go to school and get clowned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so it, it brought a, a consciousness and a, and a awareness to, would you,
0: would you I call, don't
1: have what would, others have.
0: Would you call that shame? Yeah. Would you feel ashamed? Yeah, as a
1: kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Okay. Uh, definitely. Um, Like I, I it, and that brought a, a level of like when I first thing I, when I turned 16, I wanted to work, you know, I wanted to work. I wanted to earn money. Um, so I can buy my own clothes. I can have my own drip I can have my own swag. I can buy me some air force ones and I can be fly. Um, and that led me to uh, down the path of materialism. You know, that, that became God. Mm -hmm. Uh, my swag became God, Mm -hmm. you know, how I dress became God. Um, because I went from person I didn't have to now I have these things and now I'm getting the trick attention from girls. And it, it just, it was, it was a spiral. So yes, yeah, shame, consciousness, um, you know, anger, sadness at times yeah. uh, because you want what others have. Yep. Um, and that just takes your heart to a bad place.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, man, we, we've had some, uh, trauma in Wisconsin lately. I'm sure you've heard about that in Kenosha Mm -hmm. and uh, it's been um, it's been really heartbreaking to see all that's all that's gone on. Um, Has, has that been a conversation um, just with what's happening here? Has that been uh, something that people in Detroit are talking about in your circles?
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. We've, we've, we've had good conversations uh, within our church and there's been um, just in the greater, Greater City, there's been several um, town halls and um, uh, protests and things of that nature. Good, and we haven't had any rioting, um, but good, peaceful protests and uh, things of that nature. Um, so yeah, it's been it's every time this happens, it's the black the black community at large is is both. Uh, It's a weird paradox. We're both shocked and um, shocked and um, (laughs) not shocked at the same time.
0: Right, surprised and not surprised.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can't believe this happened, but this always happened. Right. You know, and it's a it's a weird it's a weird feeling. Um, You know, a feeling of both both anger and frustration and powerlessness at the same time. Like these are the feelings that just kind of come over you know, uh, black people and and, and our community. So it's, it's, yeah, you know, I've been praying for you guys and praying for uh, Kenosha and praying for the family and praying for all those involved when I saw that.
0: Yeah, let's let's dive into this one a little bit more because, again, I think that's something that would be good to hear you articulate from your perspective and your history and your context. Um, Like, okay, like you and I come from different worlds in the sense that, I've never once had a negative interaction with a police officer, ever. Mm-hmm. And my default setting is, if the police are coming to me, it's because I've done something wrong, mm-hmm. and um, and I assume that the police. I mean, this I'm just I'm just reflecting on my own thoughts even right now. Like when I see a policeman, I don't think negative. I think, oh, they're there to protect me, and I think um, mm-hmm. there's no threat there. Um, and I realize that. I'm learning to realize that there's lots of people out there that don't share my experience and don't share Mm -hmm. my thinking. So I would imagine there's a lot of people at my church that feel the same way I do. Um, Help educate um, me, others about a different perspective, a different experience. Like what, let me, let me frame it like this. What, what's like one or two things that you just wish, that people like me understood about your experience with when it comes to law enforcement
1: so yeah um so first um i believe uh every ounce of romans uh 13 1 through 7 god has given us um officials and police and he got they are gifts from god so i'm not hashtag defund the police i'm i'm far from that. I live in Detroit. We need the police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we need the police in Detroit. You know what I'm saying? So by no means, am I on, uh, on that train? Cause that's just, that makes no sense. That's lunacy. There would be complete anarchy without laws and without the police and without, without, uh, these people. So, um, you know, I, I, say that genuinely not as some, um, as, as some caveat. I, mm-hmm. I, I truly mean that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've had um, I've had good experiences with the police. Um, I've had moderate experiences with the police. Uh, I've been called boy by the police. Mm. I've been called son by the police uh, as a grown man, but I've been called sir and respected by the police. Uh, I've been treated, I've been physically manhandled by the police for no reason, I snatched out of my car uh, and had my car illegally strip searched. And I've also uh, been respected and treated like a human by the police. So um, the the thing is, what what a lot of um, what what a lot of uh, my brothers and sisters don't get is, I have so many I have so many vast experiences with the police because I fit the description. Mm-hmm. I I I've been told that I I have literally been told that I fit the description for someone that they're looking for, and no one tells me what to no one has yet to tell me what the description was or what they were looking for them for. Mm-hmm. And then this literally happened mm-hmm. um, to me several times. I was driving around with, and I'm not going to say his name, but a very prominent black pastor in Acts 29, we were driving around through the, his neighborhood. Um, and I guess, cause we were two black men that um, looked like we shouldn't been driving the car that we were driving, nice vehicle, uh, pulled us over, harass harass harassed us a little bit not physically just verbally asked for his license came into the car threw it in the car and walked away and said you look like somebody we were looking for um and this is the experience i had uh with you know like i said a prominent pastor in our network wow so this this is um the unfortunate reality that um, black men face um and i don't I don't know how to I, I don't know how to sugarcoat it I don't I don't, I don't know how to I don't I don't know how to make it palatable for people who don't want to understand that
0: yeah let me ask it like this understand. do you would you say that like all of your black and brown friends um or what percentage of them would have stories like you just shared about your experience
1: I don't want to speak uh with great hyperbole but I would I would definitely say eight and a half out of ten
0: yeah so eighty some percent
1: I would definitely say that. Like, there is it, it's a it's a rite of passage in the black community, that whoever that male figure is, to me it was my uncle, because um, my father wasn't in the picture. But you get this talk, you you get this preparation at around 13, 14 years old, and I've already begun having having these discussions with my son, right? Of how you look, because um, my son is, my son is thirteen, going on fourteen, but physically. He doesn't look it. I'm six three, um, and my wife is five ten. So we were just bound to have massive humans. <laughs> uh, my son look. My son looks fifteen years old. Right. He doesn't look fourteen. Right. So he's already he's already been um, profiled and followed in stores and harassed. Sure. As a young boy. Um, so when we go into store, I tell them, you know you you they're looking at you and you see them looking at you. You just keep your hands to your pocket and don't pick anything up. Yep. Um, like these are conversations, you know. I had to have the conversation with my son about Tamir Rice, mm-hmm. um, a young young boy that was playing with a gun, a toy gun in the park and was and shot dead, right? Twelve years old. Um, so he's not allowed to play with toy guns. He right. wasn't allowed to play with toy guns. Like this is the reality, um, and this is this is the reality that we experience. So uh, I it's I don't know how to make someone receive that that does just does not want to receive that like you look you look at you know arrest imprisonments all all of these things police engagement like these things are disproportionate in the black community um they just are right uh so yeah i think
0: just what you just said though is super instructive because if i think about all of my white friends um and I, if I were to guess, I mean, again, I'm guessing, just like you're guessing, I would guess that maybe five to ten percent, at mm-hmm. the most, have had a negative, like a real negative kind of scarring interaction mm-hmm. with the police, you know. Yeah. So that that alone, I mean, granted, it's just uh, you and me sharing our perspective, um, right. and it's not like factual data, but I think that alone is a really important data point. Yeah. just that there are different experiences out there based on your culture and your skin color.
1: Yeah. Skin color as well as uh class. Yep. Um so there's a difference between being a um affluent educated um, I I use the distinction an African American <laughs> educated African American than a poor black dude in Detroit. Okay. They're handled differently by the police. Mm-hmm. If mm. if a if a dude driving a really nice car, for the most part, for the most part, for the most part, paint with a bit of a broad brush. Yep. But if a dude with the uh, if a dude is driving a nice vehicle and he's pulled over by the police and he's educated, clearly articulate, click well dressed, well put together, the police are going to handle him differently mm-hmm. than they handled uh, Jacob Blake. Mm-hmm. and undershirt mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying uh it's, it's just it's just it's just um yeah I like I, I I've I've noticed that I've noticed that about myself the the older I have gotten gray on my face driving a minivan um with kids in the car I'm pulled over less gotcha significantly less I don't look like a threat I'm 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 less and less fit in the description I see <laughs> i'm a old i'm an old black dude with gray on his face now and a, and a car <laughs> full of kids i ain't heard nobody i'm yeah. i'm fitting the description less and less yeah um but when i was younger with cornrows
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know uh when i was younger with cornrows and i was riding around in the undershirt and riding around in the t-shirt and in a in a car in a small car by myself or with with a, with a bunch of other dudes yeah you know what i'm saying so it's, it's also that. It's a, it's a class dynamic in it as well. Yeah,
0: that, that makes sense. Um, I mean, and I can I can think of that being the same way for me if I'm just engaging with white people. Like, I 100%. can have a—I t- mean, it's like the book of James. Like, he addresses this. Don't, don't show favoritism based on how someone looks. Mm-hmm. The Bible speaks to this, but I see that tendency in my heart, too, even if I'm just talking to white people. I look at someone who's— Definitely looks homeless or whatever, and versus someone who looks like they are a CEO of a company.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. I mean, my heart, my sinful heart can tend toward favoritism easily.
1: 100%. James, James, James kills it and nails it right on the head. Mm-hmm. Like um, a person dressed like Steve Jobs, uh, a person dressed like uh, fill in the blank suit, tailored. Uh, white dude,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he walks into church, Um, he's treated and handled differently. or Especially if they know someone f- famous in the community, you know, prosecutor, lawyer, whatever. Um, Then my man who's who's uh, strung out on pills, mm-hmm. walking in there with a, a white dude with a dirty undershirt, mm-hmm. uh, smelling, hair looking raggedy, he's going to be treated differently. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's it's human nature. I, I say this often, and it's jarring. It's jarring to people. But each and every one of us has prejudice. Mm-hmm. Each and every one of us has prejudice. Um, I, 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 ref, I I try to refrain from use, using that R word. <laughs> when you, you call a person a racist, you have basically called them the worst thing in the world and defame their family and spit on their grandmother's grave. Right. I, I, refra- I try to refrain from using the the R word and calling the person a straight-up racist. But if you are honest, each and every one of us has prejudice. Guess what? I have prejudice against the police.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've, I've had guns pointed at me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, at random, at, at routine traffic stop. I literally been harassed by the police and in front of my children and felt like less of a man. Mm-hmm. And my children are scared because they see uh, a potentially rough situation. Like I remember, I got pulled over by the police, and the car, and um, uh, the car after, uh, Philando Castile was killed. Yep. I was terrified. Yep. yep. Terrified. Yep. Um, so guess what? I have a prejudice against police. Mm-hmm. I have a, I have, I have prejudice in my heart. I have, I have preference in my heart. Yep. For my culture, I, I, there are certain things I prefer. Yep. It, it just is what it is, yep. because I, I am I am a sinner that's being sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So I think the sooner we basically, <laughs> not in a proud way on that, but we look in the mirror and say, yo, you know, there's prejudice in my heart against uh, people of this lifestyle. You know, it may, it may be people of a different class. Yeah. You know, I I have prejudice in my heart and I need to take that to the cross.
0: Amen. Yeah, and it seems like we have a theology as Christians that should enable us to not be defensive right. when somebody says uh, that we should really think hard about the sin of racism or prejudice that's lurking there. Um, yeah. Now, I don't think we should necessarily go running around just like labeling people without like actually talking to them and listening to them. exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's, that's seems like it's getting more popular in our culture. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, man, like we, we have a theology that says, man, my, I, I, I am totally unable to obey God on my own apart from his intervention Facts. into my life. And so Facts. why would I be defensive and just be like, well, no, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. Well, I mean, again, this is complicated. Like I mm-hmm. I'm I might not be aware of any experience that I had where I called someone the N word or right. I specifically participated in some type of a zoning laws in Madison to discriminate against the black people or something like that. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: but to just just to look at James, the book of James and see what it says. Mm-hmm. and then think hard about okay am i showing favoritism favoritism might be another way to say it am i showing favoritism yeah i yeah. think i am i think i am capable of that and i could probably come up with some like so all that to say is
1: everyday bro yeah everyday yeah exactly <laughs> everyday and so i'm just yeah.
0: i'm not trying to um to to preach you know uh like uh a message that that might sound like the book white fragility or something i'm not right, trying no, to i'm not no. trying to preach that but i am no. trying to preach we have a doctrine of sin and so just be careful how defensive you get
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i don't yeah it yeah i i, I I've, <laughs> I've done that a, i've done that a couple times in my life uh very rarely will i just straight up call part tell a person i feel that they're racist I reserve that because, um, you know, saying and, and it, it usually just ends in the person shutting down anyway. Sure. They get they get so defensive that they shut down, that it's just not even the conversation is, is all but over. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, you you are a sinner. Mm-hmm. I am a sinner. My heart is is prone to favoritism. Mm-hmm. Like I like I for the longest, uh, because I grew up, grew up poor um i i just i could not stand people who had mm-hmm. <laughs> i couldn't stand them and again that was just because of me they ain't did nothing to me <laughs> I, I hear you but it, it but it was it was it was a strong feeling like i, I can't stand you. look at you yep. living easy yep and your bills yeah eating food <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah they did nothing to me right yeah, but we're like that yeah we're like that yep
0: amen amen how was, um, I'm curious about your church being diverse and these issues being at the forefront, um, when it comes to racial justice, when it also comes to an upcoming election, mm-hmm. how are you thinking about unity at your church? Cause I, I would imagine because there's diversity, mm-hmm. um, I would assume there's a diversity in political... Uh, convictions about, like, specific nuanced things, maybe some... We're
1: telling telling everyone to just write in Ross Perot. I'm voting for Kanye. He's dead, right? I think Ross Perot's dead. I think he did.
0: Yeah, I think he did pass away.
1: Well, never mind. Uh, Write in Jesus. He's still alive and well. Um, Amen. So, yeah, um, as far as, I think... um, I think as we get closer to the election, not, I think, I know I'm going to do a, um, do a, uh, a little one week sermon, um, from Romans 13 and just kind of talk about our, our duty, our civic duty. Um, and then probably just have like a dialogue about it. like. Uh, like our swag is we, we, we like to have the dialogues in house
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and just so, so people can feel comfortable, so people can be real. So people can say I'm voting for this person and this is why and get the little, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, cause you're going to get that no matter what side you say you vote right. for. This election. Um, so I'm not, I think it's, uh, boy, do I want to go? Yeah. I think it's irresponsible. And I think it. I think it's. to try to say this in a way that's uh, doesn't sound too heavy-handed. Um, I think it's irresponsible, and it's not my job, and overstepping to tell people who to vote for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I or, or or even try to. The pastor may not explicitly say like there's a certain large church pastor that said true believers are going to vote for you know, this candidate, right. I think that's, that's not, that's, that's not one. That's not my job, bro. Right. That's not my job. And two, it's just, that's where you, what are you doing?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, but sec, and, but, but in more subtle ways, the pastor may not explicitly say it like that, but more subtle ways you can see the church or the pastor trying to swing people by certain things that they say, sure. uh, and to, to try to lean a certain way. And it happens in both ways. I mean, I'm 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 black, and I grew up uh, in the black church. They would just be straight up and down. Yo, we voting, we Democrats, mm-hmm. you know. And this is who we gonna vote for, and, we, and they'll bring in a Democratic candidate. Uh, you know, and 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 white evangelical churches do the other side and all that jazz. I don't think that's my job. My job is to um, teach people how to think about civics and politics in light of the gospel of the Lord Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And if you go in there and hold your nose and vote for either one of those people, that's between you and God. And it's not something that should divide us. And it's not something that makes you better than another person because they didn't vote for what you voted for. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of, that's kind of how I'm looking at it, man. Um, We didn't, we didn't get a lot of, um, Trying to think back last last election, our church was a month old uh, gotcha. last election, so it still was things were still new um, and fresh. But we've we've had we've had conversations in our in discipleship groups and, and just in the setting, and people just kicking it around. I, I mean, the culture I, I think it's because part of it is I'm such an open person, and that's just how I love to be open. Even if we disagree, we can disagree in a way. That I still love you as my brother or my sister.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: there's just a there's a culture that we talk about these things openly, in a way that is not dividing. Mm-hmm. You know, that was last time, and, and, and different topics have come up. Um, so yeah, man, this election is going to be interesting. So I, that, that's kind of what I'm looking. At, that's the approach. Have a couple conversations in house, and just kind of make myself available for people who want to talk to me mm-hmm. and process. And I and I straight up and say, I'm not telling you who to vote for. Mm-hmm. I will not tell you who to vote for, and I will not try to sway you each way. Right. That's not my job. My job is to help you look at your money, your civics, your sex life, your family. Look at all those things in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's my job, mm-hmm. um, and I'm gonna stick to that. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing all that other weird stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tricky, man. It's tricky. It's uh, it's such a divisive time. Um, I'm really really concerned about that. And I really desire for Christians to be the opposite of what we see in the media and what we see on social media. Um, I think that's one of the main ways that we can just stand out as City on a Hill is um, to be unique in how we talk about these issues. Um, Mm -hmm. I say it all the time, and I feel like you're hinting at this, like the issue is not what your convictions are. The issue is how you articulate them. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. and articulate them with humility and a willingness to listen to others and a um, uh, willingness to not demonize people because they might disagree with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if we can do that, man, it's such a, such a beautiful contrast to the culture that I think mm-hmm. people will grow weary of um, just the vitriol, and the yelling and the the oversimplification of statements that just pits people into black and white categories.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if we can yeah, do it, do it differently, man, I think there's a witness there.
1: It's 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 exhausting. <laughs> it, it's exhausting to have that fight for for some, for, for some people. Some people they actually are energized by it, um, and those people stay far 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 away from me mm-hmm. and the words of that lady that went viral a couple years ago i ain't nobody got time for that <laughs> um
0: hide your family hide your, yeah, hide your wife, hide your that. kids
1: yeah man uh, ain't nobody got time for that um well so, yeah it's that's the that's the that's the beauty that the gospel brings though mm-hmm. we should be able to be able to be able to express and articulate again no matter who you vote for Whoever I'm just gonna say, that whoever wins this election, both sides loses. Right. You um, know, I don't get. You know, hey, you know, again, send send all emails to Pastor Zach. But whoever <laughs> wins, this is a, everybody's taking an L. <laughs> everybody's taking an L. Yeah. Um, neither neither is God's man in that. Mm. T- uh, we we all again Romans 13. We know God is sovereign. God is in control.
2: Yeah.
1: But fam, come on, man. Yeah. Um, I saw one really good. <clears throat> Well, um uh, I think it was rapper KB and he was um he's basically articulating how you know uh God doesn't need a political party to save him you know what I'm saying God doesn't need a political party to protect our right to worship and all, all those things right. so God god man he is he is still on the throne mm-hmm. Jesus is still ruling and reigning Amen. Undefeated. Amen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So I feel yeah. like too,
0: bud. Like um, church history is such um, is such a so instructive for us because when you look at the history of the church, man, the church has endured and is enduring a lot worse in terms of political tyrants or whatever political. This is light Yeah, what we're doing is light. I mean, that, I don't want to dismiss people. But um, and there are problems, but it's not the same as the early church with a Roman emperor that's just diabolical. Um, and uh, and the church, it did all right.
1: I'll say it. I'll say it. The first, yeah. the first century, first century church is like, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. Are you are you serious? Nero? Are, yeah, are you Exactly. Simpians?
0: Exactly. Come
1: on, bro. Like, come on, man. Like this. This is uncomfortable and it's, 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 yeah, but come on, man. Like, but I I was talking to a friend yesterday, um, like what Christians want to avoid most in America. If we look at, if we look at acts and we look at church history, church history, that's what fuels the momentum of the gospel. Amen. Like persecution, hardship. I don't want it, you know, you know, but persecution, hardship, um, being politically homeless and politically isolated like whenever that happened the church spread like wildfire exactly look at acts yep. look at church history that's and right. look at the rest of the world
0: that's right that's right that's
1: right <laughs> we we want our we want our comfort we as americans we want our comfort and we want our ease bro like places where the gospel is uh forbidden and and, and ministry is a is a is a there's laws against it that's where the gospel was spreading like wildfire that's right in asia and in africa and other parts of the world
0: china yep
1: yeah china, like bro <laughs> yep. like yeah we, we we worship our e we worship our we worship our influence our comfort our ease um and, th- and this election is is, is, is is pointing is showing us that that's right a lot of christians are like if this person gets in office this is going to make my life easier as a Christian mm-hmm. or he's going to protect my right. And like, man, if, if this may be a a, 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 another landmine, but if it takes affliction and persecution and hardship and being ostracized and being maligned, if that's what it takes for revival to happen, I wouldn't be mad. Yeah. I would not be mad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Well, we should wrap up. Tyler, but um, is there? Let me just ask you this, like, because we're always looking for resources. Um, just going back to the racial justice thing and the helping white people understand the black experience in America. Mm-hmm. Are there are there a couple resources that you recommend that you're like, man, I just wish all of my white brothers and sisters uh, would read this book because I think it would really help them um, have compassion and um and grow in understanding a different culture.
1: Yeah, I would. Uh, so one of my heroes, I'm going to, give you three? Please. You like asked me to pick my first child, uh, my <laughs> favorite, my favorite child. Um, my hero in the faith, one of my heroes in the faith, one was my pastor who discipled me, small little storefront church. Nobody has ever heard of him other than a handful of people that's been through the, the doors. But my other hero in the faith is, Bishop Richard Allen. Um, This man was, uh, so Richard Allen and Lemuel Hayes, they both have excellent autobiographies. Both men were born into, born in slavery and went on to do amazing, absurd, ridiculous things for the Lord Jesus Christ. Richard Allen was led the very first protest on American soil, which was in a church. Mm. Uh, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones and and 30 other um, uh, blacks kneeled in the whites only uh, section. Uh, I believe it was, uh, I believe, 1787, I believe. I don't remember. Um, but they kneeled in the whites only section and they left. It. They were all put out the church and he started the uh, AME church with like the first black denomination. Um, so, the, so that's another point that I always try to articulate. We have, you know, quote, black church and white church um, because blacks had to start churches because we weren't welcome. Right. It, was, right. it wasn't out of preference. <laughs> right. right. It, it is now, but sure. initially it was, you know, black denominations popped up because blacks were not allowed to be members, not allowed to be joined, not allowed yep. to be baptized. Yep. Um, so anyway, one of their their documentaries are excellent. But the main main two things I tell you to read if you had to read two books, Oneness, embraced by Tony Evans, excellent. But my number one, number one, number one, number one, number one is Free at Last question mark by Doctor Carl Ellis Jr. Okay. Um, and read anything by Carl Ellis. I, I have the biggest crush on him, uh, him and Tim Keller are like my, my crushes. Yeah. Uh, but Dr. Carl Ellis, um, literally starts walks the gospel from Africa all the way to American soil, um, and gives great, great history and detail of how we got to where we are. Um, so Dr. Carl Ellis, Jr. Uh, free at last question mark and Tony Evans book. Is, uh, is a really good book. His is a little more modern, a little more uh, What's more the title open. of that one again? Tony Evans' book is uh, Oneness Embraced. Okay. Um, and Tony Evans is... Uh, so, we, again, we don't have to pick an aside. Sure. You don't have to pick the extreme uh, extreme, extreme, extreme black uh, conservative talking head. I'm, I was going to rename a name, but it would be nice. Um, and you don't have to go and pick the extreme person the extreme black talking head that might be viewed extremely liberal
2: sure
1: there are uh theologically conservative reformed faithful black theologians uh that speak the truth right down the middle call mm-hmm. everybody accountable yep. Tell white folk they're wrong tell black folk they're wrong tell us yep. all we need to repent yep. and be one yep. so dr dr tony evans is one and anything by dr carl ellis jr but,
0: um, yeah, I got to hear Dr. Ellis um at a conference like twenty years ago, and before these issues were as hot yeah. as they are right now, and he was talking about it back then and um and it was over my head i, I didn't have the maturity or the categories to he's to him over my head. yeah but uh but yeah, but I remember brilliant. just thinking he was um yeah, I remember thinking that this was this was something I need to pay pay attention to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, his book "Free
0: at Last" is really good. It's okay, really good. okay. Well, well, Tyler, it's been such a joy, and thank you for blessing our church. It's uh, the first podcast got rave reviews, and um, I'm, I'm thinking this one's going to be the same. So, uh, really appreciate you, brother. And uh, my pleasure, bro. Maybe in a few months we can we can chop it up again
1: <laughs> for Christmas. The Christmas edition.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, yeah, maybe by then your your beard will be completely white.
1: I'm it, I'm getting there, bro. I'm aging like cheese.
0: This that's this, this year man is doing it to all of us. H-aging I'm like aging cheese. like American cheese.
1: <laughs> <laughs>